It's been such a powerful book to study through, hasn't it? Those of you that have been with us on this journey in Philippians, and if you have not, well, spoiler alert, we are in Philippians this morning. We believe that going through God's Word, verse by verse, understanding it in God's terms, revealed as He revealed it to be, helps us grow the most. We don't just skip around and pick a verse that stands out to us for a day and and, and, but then the next week, maybe it hits us differently and, and it, it doesn't quite make sense because it was taken out of context. When you study God's word in context, our faith roots grow deeper. Our church health grows stronger and our outreach ministry grows more effective because we understand that the word is living and alive. It's what works through us by the power of the spirit so that the gospel goes forward. We want the gospel to go forward from Living Hope Church. Don't we? That's what we desire above all. If so, buckle your seatbelts because we're going deeper this morning. In fact, I invite you, as we go through Philippians, you might even want to pick up a Bible study help like this. Something like a Christ-centered exposition commentary on Philippians. I think it's maybe $10, $12 on Amazon, or, uh, you know, if you want to borrow a copy, you know, I'll, I'll let you borrow mine. That's fine. I believe I also have it in, in digital in my, in my library. It's so readable. You can see how thin it is. It's very accessible. If you're just trying to understand a little bit better on your own Bible study, that's the goal. We teach the word here, but we want to go deeper all throughout the week in your personal relationship with Jesus. So we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. If you are with us last week, we saw how Paul is... Praising Jesus, despite the fact that he's in chains, he's in a Roman prison, awaiting about a 50% chance of death in human terms. Could go either way. So uncertain. But he says, hey, let me tell you how I'm doing, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it like you're looking at a painting with shadowy backgrounds, which are necessary to help display the beauty of the portrait in front of us. It accentuates the features that, that the artist has in mind. He wants you to see, draws you in. The shadows are necessary. The difficulties in life are necessary so that the gospel shines all the more beautiful. So that people can see Jesus in us despite the mess that's going on. Don't focus on the mess. We acknowledge it's there. We don't focus on it. We focus on the Lord. And he has all the joy in the world because Jesus is at the center of it all. So that brings us into chapter... Uh, well, actually, it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, he emphasizes twice over, I will rejoice. I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you rejoicing? I mean, what do we have to live for in the scary times that we live in, when the headlines are full of, of nukes and, and armies mobilizing and tanks and rumblings of, of world war? I, that. Certainly doesn't seem like a time to be joyful when police officers who are entrusted to carry out justice, to serve and protect, do the complete opposite and will rip you out of your car and bludgeon you to death. Where's the safety and security in that? How are we supposed to have joy? What about pandemics and viruses? It's kind of crazy, but we, we don't often talk about COVID-19 anymore because there's so many other bad things going on. It's like, oh yeah, there's that too. That's just always in the back of the mind. Scary times that we live in. But you know, it helps us to really ponder the question, what am I living for? 
what are we living for? The hard times help us dig into that. Last night I picked up some food, some dinner for us from Anna Maria Oyster Bar. And I got to tell you, that place was hopping. That was, the, that was the place to be on a Saturday night. I'm telling you, people were lined up around the corner to get in there. They got the games on the big screens. You got the, the buckets of oysters and all the seafood. They got the beers and the drinks. They got the friends. They're having a good time. Is that what we live for? The weekend? The parties? The fun? Do we live, maybe you're kind of trending the opposite way, and you prefer a quiet beach and a book, some relaxation, quiet golf course. Is that what we live for? Do you live for your job, the accomplishment you get from the work that you put in? Because Paul gets none of that in prison. There's no golf course in a Roman prison cell. There's no relaxation. There's no beers. It's him chained to some smelly guards, and he might get killed. But he's the most joyful man in Rome. And I love this passage we're about to read because Paul gives us an intimately personal look at his struggle. He's open and honest. He, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about this, this death thing. Kind of wondering what's going to happen. I'll be vulnerable with you. And yet, followers of Jesus can live boldly and joyfully no matter what. That's what Paul tells us. Followers of Jesus, not just anybody in the world, followers of Jesus can live boldly no matter what. We have an unshakable boldness. So let me read for us from Philippians 1, 19 to 26. I invite you to follow along on your phone or with a copy of the Word. I think we have, yes, two copies on the back table. If you'd like a hard copy, hey, it's our gift to you. By all means, take it, read it. For I know, this is what Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, let me read on my tablet, it'll make it a little bit easier for, my, for the lighting here, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Don't you just love that personal insight into Paul's situation? The wrestling, the grappling, the squeezing. I hope I have courage when the time comes, if I should give my life for Christ. So here's what Paul tells us. How do we live boldly no matter what? He tells us, first of all, we're completely confident in God's plan. Our life is in God's hands. He's at work. We can trust him in that. Notice back in verses 19 to 20. He says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
He uses several phrases in those verses. Deliverance, expectation and hope, and full of courage. Paul is optimistic, and he's boldly uh, confident in God's plan because he knows something. What does he know? I will be delivered. So, so Paul maybe has some prophecy from God knowing he's going to be released from prison. I don't believe he's talking about physical deliverance alone because he says at the end of verse 20, I want Christ to be honored whether I live or die. Paul is telling us, I don't know how this is going to end, and neither do you. We don't know the day appointed by God for us where we meet our maker. And his plan for us on this earth is finished. You and I don't get to choose that. God does. But Paul says, I know I'm going to be delivered. Why? Because whether it's physical deliverance or spiritual deliverance, all things work together for good to those that love God. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Another one of Paul's letters showing his heart depends on the work of the Spirit of Christ. That's where his courage is. That's where his boldness is. It's not in himself. It's not in the justice system. Oh yeah, okay. Because we've seen that even in our own country. It's not in the justice system. Our confidence comes from God alone. So we walk boldly. Who's, who's going to be against us if God is for us? That's where Paul's coming from. He says, through your prayers, I know prayer works. I know there's power in prayer. Particularly, not just you praying privately by yourself in your home, but getting together with other believers, praying corporately. Together, we depend on God's plan. We look to him. Because when we're looking to him, we see him at work. You can't miss it. It's when I just go through my day, I'm, I'm too busy, I'm just going to throw up a prayer, prayer while I'm driving. God might be doing something awesome, but I'm not looking for it. Prayer humbles us, draws us to depend on him. God, what are you doing? I know you're doing something. Through your prayers, I will see deliverance. Paul also says, hey, <laughs> this has got to come from the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is involved in everything. Because Scripture tells us that the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God, living God, eternal God, comes to dwell in you. And he will never leave you. Never. Come what may. Nothing happens to a child of God outside of God's providential plan. And a child knows that because he's with me. I have his joy inside of me because he is in me. He is with me. And did you notice how the spirit is titled? The spirit of who? Jesus Christ. You might expect Paul to say the spirit of God. That is what he's saying. The spirit of Jesus Christ. There's not two spirits. One God. But the same spirit of the Father is the same spirit of Jesus Christ. This is the agent of help in this age. You say, God, why don't you help me out? Things are tough. I'm struggling. I'm getting knocked around. Where's your help? I, I want to see Jesus riding in on the white horse. And i got to admit, I'm looking forward to that day. Maybe today. Maybe today. I would love to be with Jesus. But he says, I've already given you help. 
If you are in me, if you put your faith in me, I am in you. You have all the help that you need. So all of Paul's needs will be met in Christ Jesus, because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his people, to his church. What a gift. And I want to encourage this church. Prayer has been such a strong focus for us to start off this year. Just because we're wrapping up our four weeks of fasting on Thursdays, don't let that go. Cling to the Lord. Make time to pray. Come to small groups so we can find out what's going on in your life and pray for you. You can pray for others, and we can praise God together when he works. There's power in that. There was one gathering group, now there's two. More opportunities to pray, more opportunities to give God the glory by the strength that God gives us. Paul also talks about expectation and hope. Have you ever participated in a trust fall before? I'm tempted right now. Back up this stage. Ask some people to get behind me and just fall. See if you'll catch me. Would you catch me? I should ask that before, before I throw the challenge out there. Would you catch me? Okay, I try. I, I gotta try. No one else is saying yes, so we're not gonna try the trust fall this morning. Make me a little nervous. Goodness, what did I do to you guys? All right, but Paul says, I have expectation and hope that I'm not going to fall in my life without being caught by the Lord. Right? He will not let the righteous fall. But you know what? There will be times of descent, trials, valleys, shadows. And Paul says, you know what? It's not a blind trust. I know God is there. I know he will catch me. You can even peek back. All the times in Scripture, he says, trust me. I'm faithful to keep my promises. But a person of faith, actually, let's go. A person who's not of faith can know all those things about God, can know these verses. Now, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But then you look at their life, in what way of your life are you trusting in God? If faith was a three-legged stool, what's, what's underneath you? And you look closer and you see, well, I do good works. I've gone to church. I give God a whole hour out of my week. I'm pretty spiritual. You know, I come from a Christian family. Those are all nice things. Me too. But God says you're only saved by grace received through faith. That's the vehicle to trust in God, to know he will catch you. You have to believe. My faith doesn't travel to your heart. This is an expectation and hope that has to be within you. Paul says, I, I totally trust God. I, I can have full courage that Christ will be honored in me, whether in life or by death, because I belong to him. I'm certain of that. I know that for a fact. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to me, the number of people that I talk, through, or talk with about Jesus, and I ask them if they know for certain that they have a relationship with God, that they are going to enter heaven's gates when they die. And how many people say, I think so. I hope so. I'm 99% sure. Goodness, do you realize... When you enter the grave, that's it. There's no do-over. I hope there's no maybe or hope so in your heart. 
but that you know so. John says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written that you would know that you have eternal life. No doubt about it. And I didn't earn it. I simply received the truth that God shared. I received the Savior that he sent. I received the power of the resurrection that he gives to those who believe. And if you have doubts this morning, if you're in that camp and said, I'm 99% sure, I'm not going to give you a list of, of religious things to do. But I would like to show you from the Bible how you can know confidently in your heart that you are saved. This was Paul's gospel. This is where his confidence comes from. His full courage comes from the gospel. If he falls, Jesus is going to catch him. And if he falls all the way to the grave, whether in life or by death, who's going to catch him on the other side? Who's the only one that's gone to heaven, come back in a resurrected body, and now offers to take you there and be your spiritual guide? It's only Jesus. That's where our hope has to be. Our faith has to be in Christ. And what we do, we have incredible boldness. Secondly, Paul shows us we completely commit our lives to Christ because of what he's done. He says, to me, to live is Christ. So what do you live for? Another way to ask that question is, what are you willing to die for? That's a good indicator of where your life actually is. If you're not willing to die for Christ, as I, I fear sometimes, would I be willing to take a stand for Jesus like Paul did? We can say, to live as Christ, if our faith is in him, come what may. Verses 21 to 24 show us life, death, life, death. The uncertainty is all around us. But we know whether you walk on a knife's edge with your life or if you're just walking down the street. To me, Christ is life. If you are taking notes, you could just put Christ equals life is what Paul is trying to express here in his language. It's, it's one and the same. My life is not wrapped up in Josh Comas. My life is not wrapped up in Living Hope Church. My life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Come what may. I'm with him. He's my ride or die. To use that, to use that phrase, right? And I use it often. Okay? But if I were, he's my ride or die. Not even my wife, not even my kids. I'd give myself up for my kids, but I don't live for my kids. I live for the one who bought me because he gave up everything to show me his love. Died on the cross for me. Was humiliated for me. It's a tragedy when someone is killed against their will. What do we call it when the perfect son of God willingly lays down his life to be killed for his enemies? That's a kind of unconditional love you will not find anywhere else. That's why we committed our lives to him. He bought us. He owns us. And I give myself, myself willingly. You sang it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And notice that Paul didn't say, to die is Christ. No, to live is Christ. And to die is what? Gain. Why is death something that Christians can call gain? 
Because the relationship we enjoy with Jesus on this earth, we get to enjoy face-to-face when we see him. There's no more distance in proximity. Of course, his spirit has broken through that veil. He's inside of us, but it would be nice to see Jesus. It would be wonderful to be in his presence. One day that will happen. To die is gain. (laughs) The closest you're getting to hell, the closest you're getting to judgment and punishment, that's here. That's in the past. If your faith is in Christ, it only gets better. Even if someone were to take your life because you're a Christian, it's only going to get better. So if I asked you, are you willing to die for Christ? I think most of us would say, I think so. I think I am. Okay, then are you willing to live for Christ? In the day-to-day? Sunday to Saturday? Are we willing to stop scrolling through Instagram to read our Bible? Are we willing to pray bold prayers of God, even if it disrupts my life and my schedule? Dangerous prayers that God's been challenging me in, like, God, use me. God, break me down. Take away my bad habits. Search me, God. Really search me. I'm opening up my heart to you to know me, to change me. I'm open to change. And then, God, where you show me I need to grow, help me to have the courage to grow. Where I need to go to share the gospel, Lord, send me. Are we really willing to live for Christ? Would it cost me everything? Are we willing to say, Lord, put me in prison if that's what gives you glory? That will give you more glory, Lord, I'm willing. Here am I, send me. That doesn't mean you go out and you punch somebody to get thrown in prison. Talking about thrown in prison for your faith, which one day might come. Lord, if it means giving up my life so the gospel goes forward. Just the other day, I heard about one of our our church planters in the Send Network family. That's the church planting network we're a part of. This guy is a legend. He planted a church that planted two dozen, three dozen other churches. He mentors church planters. He teaches at conferences. He literally invented the New Churches podcast that has thousands and thousands of listeners every single week. This guy is loved and influenced. And on his way back from a North American Mission Board training retreat, he was flying his personal plane, and it crashed. And he entered eternity. His wife and kids... His son is 21 years old and was planning to plant a church this year. Do you have any idea what his funeral was like? The impact this man had. Because he lived for Christ, when he died, Jesus got all the glory. And you could see the impact on the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people because he gave his life to Christ. What do you want your funeral to be like? That might change how we approach this week. We want God to get the glory. Lord, some things got to change in my life. Help me to live confidently with my, my trust in you. When you get to verse 23, Paul admits there's a tension going on for us as believers. There's a tension. Because if it's better to go with Jesus and be with him, why do I stick around here? I mean, is is this what happens with a lot of cults? You know, they drink the Kool-Aid and then they're no more, right? I I do not believe that is scriptural. In fact, Paul tells us that is not. It is not for you and I to decide the value of our life and when we go. 
That's the Lord's decision. And trust in the Lord says, I also trust him with my life. So even if there's pain, even if there's hurt and suffering, it's not for no reason. I can wrestle with this tension. I can say, I want to be sad if Jesus took me in the middle of the night. But it's better for me to stay. Why? For your sake. For others. If I take my life, I'm only thinking of myself. Even if you say, well, my, my family gave me insurance money. That's, that is not the way to think. Paul says, I want to stay because I know I can love you all. I can help you grow in your pursuit. Thirdly, we see we concede our desires to love others. To remain in the flesh is necessary for others. To serve and help others. Immature Christians only think about themselves, right? Our desires. What am I feeling like? What do I think? I don't feel like going to church this morning. I'm too busy to read my Bible. But been too chaotic of a day. I don't feel comfortable getting together with other groups of people and talking about the faith. I don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel. What are people going to think of me? And I'll be honest, I, I battle with all of these. <laughs> that's, that's my old self, wanting to, to say, hey, just, just do your thing today. Live for yourself today. i got to admit, that's pretty tempting. But mature followers of Jesus stop looking at themselves and what we want, and we look at what's best for others. What's going to be best for others? If I sleep in so I feel better, I don't go to church, I miss out on the blessing of worshiping God with others, of serving others, of seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ or take that next step in, in baptism or service or I get to see the little children praising God and I get to encourage them. Keep going after Jesus. Keep going after Jesus. If the adults aren't here, what example do the kids have to follow? Maturity says there are also children in the faith and children don't grow into adulthood without intentional steps in our spiritual walk. We can help with that. Just by being here, just by reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, plugging into a small group, allow yourself to be stretched so you can pour into others. So instead of saying, I don't feel like going to church this morning, but I'm gonna because there's someone there that I can encourage. I'm really too, too busy to read my Bible today. I know I need to hear from God for myself, and I might run into somebody today that needs an encouraging word, and I want something fresh from God. I don't feel comfortable in groups, but all right, Lord, I can do 90 minutes, I can do 60 minutes, if that means I'm able to pray for somebody going through a hard time, and maybe even meet one of their needs. I'm willing, God. I don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel, but how are they going to know the joy of Jesus if I don't? Maturity thinks of others. Thinking back to, to the first verse, uh, verse 19, through your prayers. How encouraging would it be to Paul that he doesn't hear a word from any church while he's in prison? No one's thinking of him. No one's praying for him. They all got their own things going on. Man, that'd be lonely. That'd be really hard. 
But praise God for the church at Philippi that said, I wonder how Paul's doing. Hey, can we send can we can we send a gift to him? Can we send a letter to him? Can we check in on him? And he says, through your prayers, I know this will work out. I feel it. I feel the love that you're sending, even from afar. And the Philippian church was free. They could do whatever they wanted. They're free in Christ. They were outside of prison. But they were bound to Paul through the Spirit. We've got to pray for Paul. We've got to check in on him. He's our brother. We love him. And I pray that God would grow and continue to grow that spirit in this church. Care for each other. We're there for each other. The good and the bad, and the ups and the downs, so that God would get the glory. That's the ultimate goal. So that God would get the glory. Paul says, in me, you would have glory in Christ Jesus. That's what I want. I want God to get the glory from all of this. Because loving God and loving others is the most important thing in life. And Jesus says, hey, if you love me, take care of my sheep. Look out for others. Love the flock the way that I love them. Just like William Booth said at, at, uh, at Christmas Eve in 1910, he was physically unable to continue going to these big gatherings of the Salvation Army because... He was in his final years. His health was declining. And they asked him, hey, we wanted you to speak at this gathering. All these soldiers are there. All these staff members are there. What's your big message to the crowd before Christmas? And he sends back a one-word message to this big gathering. And someone gets up in front of the, the podium, in front of this big group, and reads this one-word sermon. Others. Others. Do we live our life for the glory of God and for the good of others? Here's some closing thoughts of application, and we'll be done. I think we can tell Paul knew and cared for these people. They certainly cared for Paul. Paul wanted to go to heaven, but he also wanted to help these people grow in their spiritual progress. So here's some practical ways that you might be able to help someone grow in their spiritual progress this week. Let's be ready for this. Let's pray for this. Let's ask God, show me which way or several of these. One could be reading your word and then saying, hey, when, when I read the word today, I'm going to take one verse and I'm going to share it with somebody. I know one lady named Nina. I served with her in student ministry. Lacey and I served with her in student ministry years ago. We still get text messages from her every single morning at 8 a.m. And she shares her verse and thought of the day. Haven't seen this lady in years. But she's still sharing and passing on what she's learning in the Word. Maybe it's on social media. Put up a reel. Put up a verse on Instagram. Read and share the Word. Okay? Pray for someone this week. Hey, can I pray for you? You seem like you're going through something. Or, hey, waitress, we like to pray for our meal together because we're, we're followers of Jesus. Is there something we can pray for you about? Eight times out of ten. I just threw that statistic out of there. You know, eight times out of ten. They say, yeah, actually, I do have something going on. What a coincidence. We're ready. We're ready to serve others. Maybe it's making time in your calendar to meet with somebody that needs encouragement. You just love on them. Buy them a meal. Buy them a cup of coffee. Just make time for them. Listen. 
We had a church membership meeting a couple weeks ago. We talked about what does this look like if we were to commit together as a church? Maybe you need to be baptized and take that official step as a, as a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's committing to a local church saying, I take ownership of caring for these people, loving these people, and helping these people grow. Whatever that step is, those are just some suggestions that this week, whatever's going on in your life, you can not only have a firm foundation in your faith, it's unshakable, but you can reach somebody that's sinking and pull them onto the solid rock as well. Because followers of Jesus can live boldly no matter what. We're confident in God's plan. We commit our lives to Christ and we concede our desires to love others. This is what the gospel calls us to do. Change Paul's life and through him change many others. Do you want God to work the same way through you? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and lead us in a song as we reflect on this. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand. There's no pressure there. Maybe you, you do need to stay in your seat. Maybe you need to talk to God right there. Because we've all been pretty shaken at times. Maybe you're pretty shaken this morning. Some things that have gone on this past week. Do you need prayer? Do you need someone to show you from the word how you can know and have confidence that you'll spend eternity with the Father? I'm not here to promise a false boldness this morning. And like I said before, I can't give that boldness to you. I can't even give that boldness to myself. What I can do is point you to a Savior who is bold in the face of death. He took on that cross for you and me. Take away our sins and bring us to, into a relationship with God. And then he confidently stepped back through the door of that empty tomb three days later. I can be confident in that kind of Savior. And I'd love to point you to him and share how you can know that in your life.